Hans, Anna, Hans, potato, potato, let's just go home. Um, so, searching. We're pretty good at searching, spotting it. In Psalm 139, we see that God is a really, really good searcher. And what I'm going to try and do is to take some of these characters from Frozen, uh, because that is every preacher's sort of favorite illustration to go to. And we'll see how we're going to intertwine some of that into Psalm 139 in our understanding. So, uh, if you're a child or you're childlike, um, you may want to keep a lookout for some of these references to Frozen and see how they may relate or help us in our understanding of Psalm 139. So keep your eye out uh, for those things. Psalm 139. Do you have your Bibles open then as we look through this together? Verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You've searched me. There's different ways of searching, aren't there? And here we are, Micah. This is how good are you at searching. There's different searching. There's searching like go and search for your school shoes, which is the sort of, yeah, look at the cover. No, not there. Um, There's that sort of searching. And then there's searching for biscuits in the biscuit tin. Sweets in the, you're good at that. Yeah. Orla is incredibly good at searching her food for traces of onion. I mean, you just wouldn't believe how she manages to, there's a tiny bit of onion in there. There's different kinds of searching. So there's that quick glance or there's that intense look. And the language that's used here speaks of that intense look. It's a word that's used of exploration. It's a word that's used for investigation. God doesn't take a glance. He knows us deeply. Verse 2, you know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And that term there, to know, it speaks of an intimacy of knowing. It's more than just knowing the facts. Now, you could know kind of what happened in the Dutton's household this morning. I could tell you. you Children woke up. They watched some TV. I think it was MI High this morning. And then they had breakfast and they brushed their teeth and they got ready. You could know all that. But I know it in a more intimate way, because I was there. And in a similar way, God knows us. It's not just about knowing the facts. There's an intimacy in his knowledge. He knows when we sit. He knows when we rise. Now, he, he knows what we do. He knows better than I do what happened in the Dutton household this morning. I know because I saw it and I was there. But God knows. God knows that intimately. You perceive my thoughts from afar. See, not just what we do in the privacy, but even in, in kind of the privacy of our own minds. God sees, God knows. He knows our thoughts. Discerns our going out, our lying down. He knows what we do when we leave the house. When we're away from other people. He knows intimately what we do when we come back home before a word is on my tongue lord you know it completely as we're still seeking to formulate those words god knows exactly what it is that we're going to say he knows it intimately every action word every thought god deeply knows us 
And so verse 5, we're hemmed in by this knowledge. Verse 6 goes on to say, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The knowledge that God has of us, it's so incredible, we cannot comprehend it. But what's it mean that it's too lofty for us to attain? Well, actually, that phrase is used elsewhere uh, in the Psalms, and it speaks of being unable to prevail, to being uh, unable to fight against this. Psalm 21, uh, 11, Psalm 129, verse 2. So we could translate it, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, I cannot prevail against it. And I think the point that is being made here is that we, we, can't, we can't fight against God's knowledge of us. We can't prevail against it. We can't hide things from him. As we heard earlier in Hebrews, now God sees, God knows everything. Before him, everything is laid bare. Now, every word, every deed, God knows it and he knows it intimately. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel to know that God knows everything about you? See, we both long to be fully known, but we also fear it, don't we? The thought that someone would know absolutely everything about us. Just think about it. your every thought, your every word, your every deed lay bare. It's a terrifying thought. Now, Elsa. Remember Elsa? Now, she tried to sort of keep it all a secret. She tried to fight against this knowledge of who she was being made known. But she couldn't prevail against it. And the very famous song, Let It Go, the, the lyrics, Don't let them in, don't let them see, be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, hide it. Don't feel, don't let them know couldn't prevail. Now they know, so I'm just going to let it go, let it go. And what happens? She let it go and she went. The fear of being fully known. She couldn't prevail. She couldn't keep it a secret. And because of that, she went. She fled. Once Elsa was fully known, she didn't want to be found. And in a similar manner, the psalmist considers the same sort of thing. If everything is laid bare, now then I just want to get out of here. I want to flee. And the psalmist then considers fleeing. But the thing is, not only are we fully known, we're also fully sought. And so verse 7 goes on to say, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you were there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now where can we go? Where are we going to hide? Where are we going to flee? Are we going to go up? Are we going to go up? Go up to the heavens? Well, God's there. Uh, maybe that was kind of obvious. 
So let's go down. Let's go the opposite way. Let's go down to the depths. Well, God's there as well. Well, why not rise on the wings of the dawn? It's like travel with the sunset. And this is the ancient equivalent of light speed. Going to flee at the speed of light. Yeah, let's go hyperdrive to a galaxy far, far away. How's that going to go? Well, no, God's going to catch hold of me. He's going to take hold of me. I can't flee. I can't flee fast and I can't flee far. So why not darkness? Hide in the darkness. Is that a place that I can hide? But even then that doesn't work. Now we might try and hide in the darkness and because we can't see ourselves, we convince ourselves that no one else can see us. But it says God sees. He sees in the darkness as clearly as if it was day. There is nowhere to hide. And the thought of being fully known, the fear that comes from that, the psalmist considers fleeing. The question is, where can I flee? The answer is nowhere. There is nowhere that I can flee. And actually, that's either a terrifying thought or it's a wonderful comfort. And it all depends on who is doing the searching. It all depends who we're fleeing from. So again, let's go back to Frozen. Elsa, she let it go, she went. Some people come searching after her. Who do we have? We have Anna, her sister, who is searching for her because she loves her and she wants to bring her back. And we have Hans, Hans. Why is he searching for her? He wants to destroy her. I mean, that's, that's his plan, to rule and to reign. And so the question for us to consider, and children, consider this question and think carefully on what we're going to hear in these next verses. How is God portrayed here? Is he more like Anna or is he more like Hans? Is God more like Anna? Is he more like Hans? Listen, verse 13. Verse 13, it begins with for. For or because. You know, this is the reason. I'm about to give you the reason now why God is so relentless in his searching. Why does God not give up? Why is there nowhere that you can flee from God? For, because. Now, is it because he's this bounty hunter? No, who always gets his man? Why is God so relentless? For, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. For, because, what's the reason? It's because God created you. Because God is invested in you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Now, parents often out of their love and their joy of of a pregnancy will listen to your movements in the womb. 
But God looked, God, God gazed. God was looking, God was intimately involved. His eyes were on you. He was part of that process. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And here the womb is metaphorically described as the depths of the earth. Now, the first humans were created from the earth. God created humanity from the ground. And that same care and that same attention with the very first human being is the same attention that God had towards you when you were in the womb. See, you were not mass-produced in a factory. You were lovingly handmade by God himself. That is God's view. That is God's perspective of you. And, And all your days were written in advance. His plans, his thoughts to you, we read, are more than the grains of the sand. See, this searching, this relentless searching... It's not the searching of an emotionally detached bounty hunter. This is the searching of a fully invested father. And so to this question, now who is God more like? Which of these two, Anna or Hans, which of them more shows or represents the heart of God? What do you think? You can shout it out. It's Anna, isn't it? This searching out of love. There is nowhere that we can flee. And the reason that is wonderful news is because of who God is. And this revelation of God's heart that is fully seen in Jesus Christ. The one who is the good shepherd. As we considered in Holiday Club, the one who goes after, who looks for that lost sheep. And so it's wonderful news that there is nowhere that we can go. There is nowhere we can flee that is beyond God's reach, that is beyond his presence. So as, we, as we feel the shame of our sin, we often want to flee and run and hide away, and yet in doing so, we run from the only one now, who can heal us, who can purify us, who can save, who can rescue us. We run from the one who deeply loves us. And just consider the love of God, as seen in Jesus Christ, who left the glory of heaven, enters into our darkness, the place where we sought to hide, to seek us. But not only to seek, also to save. Who saves by taking the darkness of our hearts, our sin and our rebellion against God on himself, dying in our place on the cross. So that in Jesus, justice has been satisfied. And so it means that when we seek to to flee far and fast, and our hand of God catches and takes hold of us, it is not the hand of destruction. It is the hand of the good shepherd that has come to rescue the sheep, to lift us on his shoulders and to bear us home. See, we're fully sought. Because we're fully loved. And the thought of being fully known, it may well fill us with fear. But when, like the psalmist, 
Now, we, we contemplate fleeing. Also, like the psalmist, we are to consider who God is. And so verse 18, again, the, the very end of it. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, there's lots of discussion on exactly what that verse means. I don't think it's referring to uh, physically waking up. Now, elsewhere in the Psalms, it's used in a variety of ways. To wake can mean just waking yourself from sleep. It can also be used metaphorically. Now, to move from a place of inactivity to a place of action. And I think that's how it's being used here. If we just think about the context, the psalmist has contemplated that he is fully known by God. And the immediate response to that is this fear and this sense of, I want to flee. I want to run away as fast as I can. And yet contemplating what I'm fully sought. There is nowhere I can flee. But I'm also fully loved. And in the light of that then, what action will I take? I think that's the question that's being addressed here. What action is going to be taken? So when I awaken from that place of kind of a dreamful contemplation, as I consider my different options, what is the action that I'm going to do? When I awake, I'm still with you, Lord. I will not flee. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to trust you because I can trust you. Even though I look at myself and I feel this need to run and to flee, I can trust you. I'm not going to cherish this sin. I'm not going to seek to hide in the darkness. Lord, I trust you. When I awake, I am still with you. It's the revelation of God's heart that is this reason for confidence for the psalmist. It's a reason for our confidence too. And here the psalmist makes a stand. Verse 18, I am still with you. And then verse 19, but away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. And verses 19 to 22, we see who the real enemy is. And just notice how the wicked are defined. In verse 21, those who hate the Lord, those who are in rebellion against him. See, these are those who are defined as the wicked. These are those who are bloodthirsty. These are those whose heart is bent on destruction. God is not the enemy. The enemy are those who would seek to oppose God, who would seek to oppose his work of seeking and saving. Those are the people who are the enemy. Those are those who are bent on destruction. They are the bloodthirsty ones. And therefore the psalmist prays, God, would you destroy those who are bent on destruction? See, there is no hiding place. And for those who would seek to oppose God and to hide in the dark. Now this psalm indeed is a fearful thing. And the psalmist is praying, they they cannot flee. God, will you destroy those who would seek to destroy? Would you as the good and the just judge, Lord, execute your judgment swiftly on all who oppose your goodness? See, there is a reason for fear. 
but you cannot flee. And to those who would seek to hide in the darkness, who would seek to oppose God, it is indeed a fearful thing. There's a reason for fear. And if we just look at ourselves, if I look at myself and just myself and my life, I have every reason to fear. But as we look to Christ, we have every reason for confidence. Because in Jesus Christ, justice has been satisfied. Now in Christ, God is searching your life. And it's not that he is searching your life because he's looking for something to hold against you. Because in Christ, your sin has been completely paid for. And when God searches the life of his people, and remember this is who this psalm is written for. Now these are the psalms of God's people. When God searches the life of his people, for those who are in Christ, he's not searching for evidence that he can hold against you. His searching is more like that of a surgeon who is seeking to root out every last trace of that cancer. And so rather than fleeing, rather than vainly fleeing from God's all-knowing presence, now in Christ we are free to come before him boldly and with confidence. Knowing that his knowledge of us it is not for our destruction, it is for our good. That he searches us for our good, for his glory. And therefore, with the psalmist, we are freed to pray these final words of this psalm. And that's what we're going to do now. As we say, search me, God. Know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that indeed we can pray that. Lord, and we need not fear. Lord, because of your great kindness and your compassion and your mercy towards us that is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, everything is laid bare before you. And yet we thank you that we have a great high priest. Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, so that as we, as we even contemplate our own lives and the horror of what's there. Lord, that we don't need to hide in the darkness. That we can't step into the light. Lord, because your purpose is life. And so we ask, Lord, even now, that you would search us. As we, as we take a moment now, that you would reveal on our hearts, Lord, things that are contrary to your ways and your will and your goodness. Will you expose the sin in our life? Lord, because we know that you do so for our good and for your glory.
the letter of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you that with you there is forgiveness and there is cleansing and there is healing and there is new life. Lord, continue to search us and to test us. Lord, individually, as together, as, as your church, as your people, as Kingfisher Church here. Lord, and that you would lead us uh, in your ways. Lord, the everlasting way. Lord, help us to see our reason for confidence in Christ. Lord, that we do not flee, that we do not move away, but that we move toward you. Lord, and we do so, Lord, with great rejoicing. Lord, even as we tremble at times. Amen.